Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, Brendan here with Mark as always, vetgurus.com, episode 200. And 10, 2, 1, 0, Mark. Friday, October the 15th, 2021. And gee, we've got some very um, exciting news, but we won't jump into that quite yet. Um, but hopefully our listeners will be happy with it. Certainly some will be with our exciting news. How have you been, Mark? Wonderful, Brendan. Wonderful. Been enjoying the travelling um, I was telling you before we came on air, it's been a little bit hot in parts of the world that we've been in, uh, but it's been exciting. Excellent. Yes. Well, I vicariously live off your travels, as you know, Mark. And uh, yeah, it's had too hot for me. I think you said um, 40 degrees Celsius. Um, we got to 45 for a little while. 45 degrees Celsius. You'll have to quickly look up and see how much that is Fahrenheit for our overseas listeners and um, tell us how much that is. What's that, about 110, 115, something like that? I yeah, don't I thought know. it was 113. That would be my guess. Yes. Um, hot, in other words, very hot. Well, we're in spring here, Mark, in Melbourne, which can be the usual four seasons in one day, be in Melbourne. It can be rainy in one minute and then sunny the next and that is exactly what it is and a little bit of hay fever kicking in but other than that um, I'm looking forward to some improved weather mark over our we did have a decent weather uh, winter this year so I'm looking forward to a bit more a bit more sun and a bit more time outside and um, a bit more um, relaxing and working outside in the garden and perhaps in the little work shed mark um, so, yes, and work's busy, um, as always, and um, I haven't got a segue for this, but I think we should jump into our um, one of the emails that I flicked to you, Mark, there from a, a listener, um, a student. Do you want to read it out, Mark, just a, a hello? I will indeed give it a quick read, um, and there's a couple of questions in it we might just in a very punchy fashion answer. Um, this is from Olivia Smith um, from the UFCVM class of 2024. Um, she writes, I hope this email finds you well. I'm currently listening to your podcast while watching someone's dog, and it's nice to have something light to listen to after a day of classes. I enjoy listening to your stories about travel especially and it gives me a bit of encouragement as I find my place in the field. I do enjoy traveling but I wasn't sure how much time I would have for it once I officially entered the profession. Listening to you both has been reassuring. Keep up the great work. Um, and we've just got to say thanks. We love getting, on the first point, we just love getting communication from people who listen to us. And I've said many times before, I thought it would just be you and I, Brendan, but um, there does seem to be the odd person else who listens to us as well. Um, and I'm, I do want to um, just say that um, I think it, it's all about that balance, isn't it? I think that even if you are absolutely utterly committed to your professional development you've got to make space for other things in life and travel is one of those things that um, 
widens your horizons and allows you to see things from a different perspective. And, uh, and I just would about make it mandatory to plan those things. And if your employer isn't making space for that, oh, I wouldn't, oh, yeah, I think you've got to make sure you plan for it. What do you think, Brendan? I agree completely there, Mark. Yes, it's it's always tricky in those first few years out when um, you head to the grindstone and your and your feet are sort of underneath the water, tread tre- tread tread in um, water there, Mark, trying to keep yourself afloat. Um, too many sort of um, mixed, um, <laughs> not, not mixed metaphors, but mixed um, um, language there. Um, very poorly spoken there um, or enunciated. Um, yeah, it's it's hard during those, those first couple of years, I think, but um, keep your eye on the ball and make sure you take time off. And I, I think one of the key things I tend to recommend and I, 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 I practice myself is physically writing down either on a piece of paper, if you're really old school like me and you, Mark, or in your phone uh, app and put, blocking out time for yourself um, like you would block out time for a work shift. And by doing that, you're forcing yourself to say, okay, today's my day off. Um, I'm going to do exactly that, have a day off, or I'm going to go out and go for a walk in the in the bush or go for a swim or cycle or whatever. So I, I think that's an important way of doing it. You actually schedule that work in there and um, I think Olivia once you once you get um, yourself in the groove um, once you're out there um, in practice um, then you'll be able to eventually get back to more um, traveling um, than you probably will be able to in that first period um, of that new graduate stage and University of um, Florida, isn't it? She's at, um, yeah, College of Veterinary Medicine. So, um, you know, I think there's a very, very um, well-known exotics vet there. Mark James Wellahan um, is down at University of Florida. So, hopefully, she has some lectures and teaching from him, and um, she'll thoroughly enjoy that if she does. And I'm just looking on the website at the moment, um, and one of the reports is Uni- University of Florida researchers discover new disease fatal to gopher tortoises. So I might um, cover that in one of our next um, little news items um, in a week or two, Mark. So, yes, thank you, um, Olivia, for sending us an email. And we like um, all of the emails um, and we reply to them all, um, believe it or not. We do reply to them all, whether it's um, a shout-out on the actual podcast or, or an actual email reply. Um, we always like to see where our listeners are from and what they are up to. And um, good luck with the rest of your course there olivia i'm sure you'll get there the class of 2024 so i presume that's when you're graduating so believe it or not it'll come very quickly so get planning those trips <laughs> maybe have a trip before you um start work um after you finish graduating so mark i think we need to announce our our um our announcement um and it's something that we've been Asked by how subscribers and listeners for a while, and they've been well, they've been basically pestering us, haven't they, Mark? Um, these these chronic pesterings um, from our supporters saying, "Why don't we have some merchandise? Why don't we have this or that?" Well, the time has come, and we have opened an Etsy shop. 
um, just go to etsy.com and we'll have a link to it at vetgurus.com for this episode and also just on our general page there. And just search for Vet Gurus, all one word, and you will find the Vet Gurus shop. And we have packed it chock full of goodies and quirky <laughs> Vet Gurus um, memorabilia, memorabilia and um, quirky little stickers and all sorts there. Mark, um, what um, you've had a little bit of a browse through the through the website, and um, I think you've basically clicked on every single item and you've ordered most of them but what what um what would you like to do a little shout out um about um an item or two that you can purchase or our listeners can purchase to help support us and the reason why we set it up to is every it's only a very small percentage um i think for most of the items there we only receive about anything from three to ten dollars or so um back but it all goes towards supporting um, the production costs um, for the vet gurus so not only will you feel warm and fuzzy inside um, you'll feel warm and fuzzy inside because you've got our hoodie mark i thought you would i thought you would order the hoodie i I just have this vision of you i reckon you'd go with the um the uh, small logo version because you're naturally a shy person um but um but my favorite and literally about to place an order right now, now that I'm on the Etsy page, um, is the iPhone case, the the, um, mobile phone case. Um, And the feature of it that I love is that um, it's 100% biodegradable. Um, The components, I'm just fascinated with this, the components, I'll read them out so I don't make any mistakes. Yes. Soil, 30%. Onions, (laughs) Onions, seven point five percent. Carrots, seven point five percent. Pepper, seven point five percent. Sawdust, one point five percent. Rice, eighteen percent. Soybeans, eighteen percent. And wheat, ten percent. The beauty of these uh, phone cases, Brendan, is that if you are in the country I'm in at the moment and you do get stuck and you can't get out of one of the bog holes, um, you can survive by eating them. That's right. You can eat your iPhone cover. Um, and we will have uh, an Android version as well um, for the Sam's, mostly the Samsung phones, I think, um, soon. Um, and the other advantage is most people you know, they upgrade their phone every year and it is truly biodegradable, this phone case cover, and it will biodegrade and, and fall apart after about 12 <laughs> months. So you will need to purchase another one. Um, so another couple of cents to the Vet Gurus because of that. So, yes, um, and it does have the Vet Gurus logo on there, a, a little turtle with um, um, Vet Gurus um text on there mark and um, it's strategically placed um, so the turtle's head is over the um, cameras on the back of the case there so um, yes I I must admit I I think I'll be buying this as well um, because um, I like the look of it and you were correct mark um, as far as the um, the um, hoodies I will be getting the vet guru's small logo unisex hoodie there mark Um, there are another couple of items there. Well, obviously, I've ordered. I'm buying everything f- from myself, aren't I? By <laughs> purchasing these, um, but there's another couple that I particularly am looking forward to seeing, um, and that is the yellow ankle socks there, Mark, um, with the turtles on them. Um, I quite like them, as you know. I like a bit of a leery um, sock or yep, two. You, I, and, I know you are at the bottom of the trouser. You are a leery man. 
Yes, that's right. Um, and also, oh, the classic Vet Guru's mug um, and the Does It Fart sticker, Mark. Um, a, a true classic. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've ordered those ones as well. But, yeah, there's several things. So we encourage all our listeners to go there, have a bit of a chuckle, have a look around. There's caps. There's there's the biodegradable um, cases. There's um, stainless steel water bottles, um, which I expect will be popular. Um, there's a recycled beanie there, Mark, which is um, a high percentage of the um, beanie is made from recycled material as well. Um, and there's the vet and the nurse, um, the real nurses and the real vets um, um, hoodies there, Mark, um, with the text on there, real nurses or real vets treat more than 10 species. Mark. So, <laughs> um, yes. And in honour of you, Mark, I've also um, added a, a, a new product there I just put up today. It is the Vet Guru's Toothpaste Technique Mug. Um, if you um, click on that and have a bit of a look, um, it has the Vet Guru's logo there, and on the other side it says, I use the toothpaste technique. So there you go. I like it. So, yeah, we're excited about it and um, hopefully we might get a few people buying some things. It's a, a print-on-demand service that's available worldwide that we've um, linked in with and as well as with Etsy. And as I say, you know, a very small percentage, it's probably 5% or less of the total price. Oh, look, of, Brendan, of I was going to say goes to us. The, the money's almost inconsequential. It's the, uh, it's the genuine belly laughs that we're having at this end and yes. we expect other people at the other end are going to have as well so and yes um the limited edition thongs mark <laughs> um, and when i told you i was going to have some thongs on there you got a bit um excited or or um um worried um well i did think about our our good friends in the u.s and <laughs> their interpretation so they should go and have a look before they they make any they draw any judgment about us selling thongs that's right that's right so uh, etsy.com and search for vet gurus store and it's all there and um click on a few order a few that would be great help supporters and um get tell us quite that. unique tell us what you think and, and if there's any sort of other products that you, th you would enjoy and um we'll see if we can manage to add them to the store and i wanted to take this opportunity to shout out to one of our sponsors while we're doing the dirty and talking about money um i wanted to make sure we um we paid uh, due respects to one of our sponsors. Um, it's usually our sponsors are pretty easy to do this to because um, bloody hell, I'd be um, I'd be uh, shouting out to them even if don't tell them this, even if they didn't give us any money. They are so good. Um, and this time, I'd like to mention um, uh, Chemical Essentials, the Australian distributor of uh, the F10 range of products. Um, and and as I said, it's just. Uh, very, they're, they're critical uh, products that we use routinely um, in the veterinary practice that uh, deals with um, unusual and exotic and avian pets. We've, we've actually, Brendan, um, we regularly use the hand scrub. We definitely use the um, uh, the uh, antiseptic, but we've been using the um, uh, the fogger 
We've had a few cases of uh, contagious diseases amongst our exotic patients, um, and in an attempt to lessen the likelihood that those, uh, you know, that we increase our biosecurity and we prevent um, the hospital becoming a focus for for disease spread, and um, we've blocked rooms off and fired off the foggers, and um, and we do a little bit of DNA testing to see whether there still is uh, um, uh, DNA in the room that could represent pathogens that might cause problems. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly am pleased to say we've had no evidence of, of either disease transfer or the, the, um, the, um, the organisms concerned. So I, I think there's a wide range of products that uh, can be individually used, tailored for each of the exotic practices around the world. And uh, Andrew's products come highly recommended. Yes, and that's chemicalessentials.com.au is their website. And yeah, thank you for them for being one of our main sponsors. So I don't think we have any other um, news stories because the Etsy store is enough news for everybody this week. Um, but I've got a quick review, Mark. I think I said we were going to do a little um, a quick review. And um, I just finished... I just finished watching the last episode of season two of Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus, and as I think I've mentioned to you before, I really enjoyed the first series, and I'm a little ambivalent about things with Ted Lasso now because everybody's sort of jumped on the bandwagon. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost. It, I would have preferred it to be this sort of niche product that um, only those in the know realise how good it was, and. Um, because people are banging on about it all the time like me, um, then it often ends up being a little bit less than what you thought it was um, for some people when once they try and start watching it. But um, I, very interesting second series, Mark. Um, I'm not going to give anything away for anybody who hasn't watched the second series or even the first series, but the first series was really – it was just a very kind, nice um series and, and it was just about uh, very gentle and it was even though it was about a soccer team or a football team as they call them in the, in america um it um it was about life and about people and relationships and ju just being kind and nice to people and i think that's where it resonated with people especially during our sort of covid times over last year or two um but this this second series has got quite dark market and it was quite dark it it um there was yeah it was um uh, and, and addressed some very interesting concepts and, and and problems and anxiety um and um uh some people being not quite as nice as they could be um, and what happens when you do that. So, um, yeah, some social sort of issues, um, but still I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So I don't want to give anything more away than that. And I literally just finished watching the very last episode of season two and there is going to be a season three for next year that's been approved. Um, and um, I'm missing it already, Mark. <laughs> I haven't seen any of it, Brendan, but um, but your um, your your enthusiasm for it has uh, has made me look forward to it. I'm, I am worried though that it's drifted from that season one, um, uh, you know, perspective, and I wonder where it will go in season three. Yeah, um, 
I still think it's very good, very, very good, and the writing's very good, but, yeah, it, it is a different creature than what it was in season one. So I wonder if they will lose some listeners who, who enjoyed that sort of really upbeat, um, um, fairly light, most of the time, um, episodes that they have, whereas um, some of the episodes, especially later in this season two, were quite, um, yeah, quite, deep and quite dark and um, um, thought-provoking, yes. So, um, but still, very, very good series. Um, yeah. So what, that's what I've been watching, Mark. Um, what did you give things. it out of 10? Well, it, you know what it's going to be. It has to be an 8.6, Mark, um, 8.6, and potentially it might, depending on what season three is, um, I'll, I'll revise. I'll revise to nine. Yes, it might rise to nine or it might go down, um, depending on how they go with season three. So I think we'll jump into our main topic, Mark, being punchy as we're trying to be with these episodes, although we're 20 minutes in already, (laughs) talking too much about our store. Uh, And it's a review of a review. Um, We covered (laughs) reptile mites back, way back, Mark, in episode one. Episode 81. I almost fell over when you told me that. I thought, oh, maybe, you know, a little while ago, but (laughs) Well, although it was 81 episodes in, but the scary thing is that was May the 3rd, 2019. Oh, my goodness. So, which means there were 80 episodes before that. um, And, yeah, we haven't covered it since. So, yeah, it was a while ago. So I think it is a good time. The reason why we're revisiting this, as we have done for a couple of the topics, is it is one of the more commonly requested um, items or or problems um, or syndromes or or diseases or, or parasites that are seen in in um, in any species in practice in exotics so we're getting lots of calls in my practice mark from from vets both experienced and non-experienced and nurses technicians as well saying how do we deal with reptile mites in a snake in a lizard um, and i think it's an opportune time to revisit the topic mark so do you want to jump in and talk about what are they? What are these reptile mites? What are, uh, is it the snake mite? Everybody talks about the snake mite, don't they? They do indeed. They do indeed. And in particular in Australia, we uh, we tend to refer to it as the snake mite, but it's, uh, it's uh, well, it's certainly not as um, tightly species-specific in its parasitism um, as the name might suggest. Um, and even its scientific name, which I always struggle to to pronounce, um, Ophionysis nutritious um, suggests it is the, um, it's a, a, um, a snake parasite, um, but it is also found on lizards and has occasionally been found on turtles as well. Um, it's not a, a wild, no wild and our reptiles in Australia have been uh, found to have the mite in the wild. It has gotten into the country and is a a problem of captive reptiles. But the most common uh, patients I see it on are generally the pythons, Brendan. We certainly see it on other species, but uh, very, very common for us to see it it on the python species. Yes, most commonly on snakes and especially the pythons. Uh, I see a reasonable number of uh, lizards with it, Mark, especially bearded dragons. Um, certainly nowhere near percentage-wise compared with the snakes. Um, and also on the odd 
Uh, blue tongue lizard mark, so some of the skinks, and occasionally I think I've seen it on some other lizard species like um, water dragons. Um, have you seen it on any of those species? It's interesting that you say that because um, I have not seen it on many, uh, only occasional, early, occasionally on lizards, and particularly the blue tongues and maybe some of the smaller skinks, um, uh, uh, water skinks in Australia and whatnot. But um, it, it's it's not been a feature. We see a lot of bearded dragons, and it's very very rare. Probably because we see uh, a lot of pet lizards that are on their own rather than, you know, the proportion of uh, breeder clients we have has been dropping off. And um, and I think that's the circumstance where it does tend to make some trouble for the beardies. Yes. So what does it do, Mark? Is it a problem? Um, does that, what signs do these reptiles exhibit? Um, and more specifically, why would a client potentially be phoning up the clinic and saying, I think my snake has the snake mite or reptile mite, and what do we do about it? All good questions, as usual, Brendan. Um, the, the, it is a danger. It is a problem. It, uh, it certainly um, has the direct effect. It's, it's an interesting thing because I think um, there are some pythons who are sick who will get mites as one of the you know complicating factors in their pathology. Um, and so I do always think you've got to keep an eye out for... Um, other disease processes, but certainly um, uh, there are uh, complications if the snake is otherwise unaffected by disease. Um, they will become anemic. Um, the mite has been uh, uh, incriminated in the spread of some pathologic uh, bacteria, particularly Pseudomonas, maybe some pathologic Eremonas. Um, it's also been incriminated in the spread of some of the very dangerous uh, reptile viruses, the the, uh, the snake viruses we see that are so frustrating in practice. And so for all those reasons, there are powerful uh, forces pushing us to try and make sure our collections are free of this parasite. Yes, and that client often rings up and says, I think my snake has mites because I can see all these little white spots or these little dark spots crawling around it um, or covering it. Um, but other clinical signs that we not uncommonly would see with them would be a reptile that's a little bit off colour. So they're they're not eating um, or they're itchy. And um, especially for these snakes, Mark, they don't have too many legs there. So what does a snake do when it's itchy? Um, it may sit in the water bowl. So, you know, a classic sign, and it doesn't have to be just mites, but a classic sign for mites in a snake would be a that snake trying to remove those mites from it by drowning them um, by jumping into its little water bowl and soaking in that water bowl when it doesn't normally do that so that's another a bit of a giveaway that i might be thinking gee has this snake um a mite infestation um if the client phoned up and said my snake's sitting in the water bowl and they didn't see any mites on it i'd still be considering mites for that as well and as you mentioned yes um they are a blood-sucking parasite so um 
potentially we may have an animal that's not only annoyed by these little critters biting it, um, but they could end up being anemic there. So we have a, a weak or weakened animal that um, may also have um, also then a bit of a um, septicemia or toxemia, as you mentioned there, Mark. Um, so um, how easy is it to diagnose um, these? So if that if that snake or that lizard, Mark, that has the mites is brought into your clinic, um, is it an easy way to, is it an easy one to do um, to diagnose them? I would have thought so. I, I would think that in the vast majority of uh, cases, you you will probably, as you said, form an opinion from the history that that might be one of the things you've got to rule out. And then, you know, our, my vision's going as I get a little bit older. Um, and so I do use some magnification, but there are locations, folds of the legs in in those lizards we talked about or um, the uh, thermal pits on the, the uh, ventral jaw and the um, rostral surface of the python um, around the edges of the eye. In those sort of hidden places, you can apply the magnification and have a look and and generally you can see them the scales of the body as you mentioned before frequently have mite droppings on them and they look like little bits of salt um, tiny white powdery material um, and if you uh, have that on their body and um, you start to separate some of the scales or even notice some of the overlapping scales not sitting neatly um, and so gently slide them apart so you can see the skin between, you'll often be able to visualise the mites. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, they like to hide they like to hide. So the classic spots there in in the snakes, as you mentioned, Mark, are that little fold in the ventral chin area, the gula fold, um, and also just inside the eyelid there, as you mentioned. And and my because it's not uncommon to find um, to, to see mites in clinical practice, in my practice, in snakes, um, as part of a normal clinical exam of a of a new client with a new um, reptile patient. I will gently um, run a little probe underneath the eyelids there, Mark, around the inside of the eyelids there, looking for signs of sort of low numbers of mites um, in that that individual there. And same story, looking at that little fold there. And, um, yeah, you had another great point there, Mark, about the often those um, the scales look rough, don't they, on some of these um, snakes that have a mite infestation, and same with some of the lizards too. So the, the, the little scales are raised up a little bit because those little critters are, are, are burying themselves in there and, and, and attaching to the skin underneath the scales there. So it's another bit of a giveaway sign there. Um, or a dissectiasis, so it's another big... Another big big differential for a snake or any reptile that's going through an abnormal shed or a dissectiasis, um, that it could be a, a mite infestation. So that animal is trying to, therefore, you know, um, it, it goes into a shedding cycle or a continuous sort of shedding cycle because the skin is irritated um, with these mites and it's trying to sort of, I think, you know, the, the, the probably the reason is not great, but I, I think in my head, gee, the animal is trying to get rid of this animal and it's trying to repair this skin and it's going into a continuous shed cycle so that's another 
another another um, bit of a giveaway, I think, Mark. If if you have a reptile that has um, a dissectiasis, always put a mite infestation on the differential diagnosis, diagnosis list. Now, I've got a question for you, Brendan. I have noticed a couple of times in my clinical career that um, one type of uh, type of snake seems to be disproportionately affected. Now, when I first noticed this phenomenon, um, I put it down to the obvious reason. It's uh, the albino Darwin carpet python, um, and I thought it's albino. It's gonna the mites are gonna stand out like. You know, I'm going to see them more easily. But I've had four or five collections now where um, I have looked at a couple of snakes and seen no evidence of mites and then pulled out the albino Darwin carpet and it's been loaded up with them. They seem to um, uh, be attracted to that sort of snake. Have you seen this? Mm, um, I don't see many of the albino ones um i see the odd one probably nowhere near as much as you do um so my thoughts would be yeah there's what there's a couple of possibilities there is it that the mites are attracted to that individual and that's why they're heading over there um or is it there's something not quite right with that individual um and it's more likely to be not be able to um cope with a mite infestation you know so its immune system is not very good um, and, and you i think um i thought exactly the same thing but um i think most of the darwin carpets we get to see the albinos are in pretty they're it's not one of these mutations that um that's associated with genetic faults and so i think it probably is like you say maybe a different temperature or there's the elaboration of a different chemical from the skin that's associated mm. with the color change and but yeah i would be interested to hear if anyone else sees the same sort of problem brendan yes vetgurus at gmail.com send us an email and tell us your thoughts or your theory uh, we always like a theory especially <laughs> mark there mark. so what do we do with these marks so what do you do if you're presented with that reptile which has an obvious mite infestation we have to make some decisions. Um, you certainly need to move quickly to to get rid of the mites because they're going to complicate things and 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 uh, make life unpleasant. But even just from the point of, as you said, making them itchy. So you can't get rid of them the same way on every reptile, Brendan. You have to make a bit of a plan. Um, some of the uh, that the good thing is the mites are fairly susceptible to insecticides, so you can relatively confidently kill those mites that are on the snake when you see them. The problem is that there's a large proportion of the population of mites, just like fleas in dogs, um, that aren't on the, the, uh, the snake at any given time, and so you can kill all the ones that are on the snake, and if you whack it back in the same enclosure, you're just going to have the same problem. So it's a matter of treating the snake and the environment, and you've, then you've got to take into account that particularly some of the, the uh, very young animals, hatchos, um, that you might get to treat, their skin is so thin that they will have very little resistance to absorption of some of these insecticides. And so you've got to sort of take all these factors into account to formulate a plan for each individual animal and yes. facility. Absolutely. It's a bit tricky, isn't it? Because we don't want to 
kill the host um, while we kill that parasite there. So, yeah, I, I usually stress to the clients it's sort of three three things we need to really concentrate on. Treat the reptile, um, treat the environment and treat for long enough um, because I think a lot of people make the mistake of only um, treating a couple of times and they knock those numbers down, you know, 95, 98, 99% um, and yet those... Um, the eggs in particular are, are um, more resistant than the lymphs and the nymphs and the adults. Um, so you need to wait for them to hatch out sometimes in order for the um, insecticide to treat or to kill them. Um, so failure to treat for long enough, Mark. And yes, um, also when a snake in particular, um, but all reptiles, when they are shedding, their skin is particularly permeable. So it's a toss-up then if that animal is going through a, a shedding cycle and you are trying to treat it for the mites, um, are you going to get some absorption of that um, chemical through the skin there? And I don't think we'll go through all the number of the different insecticides. Um, you know, there's lots of different thoughts on which ones work well and which ones don't work well. And again, another thing, thing I tend to stress to my clients is that um, they are all toxic if used incorrectly. Um, I tend to be pretty conservative with the treatment regimes with what I recommend and only leave the solutions or the product on the reptile for a short period of time and then washing it off and slowly increasing the time that it's on that reptile. And I prefer not, it's just my personal preference of treating them not to treat the reptile um, and put it back in the enclosure so we pull it out of the enclosure we treat the enclosure separately um, we treat the reptile outside the enclosure um, um, for several minutes or so um, wash off the solution and then we put the reptile back in the enclosure and we do that once a week or so um, but there's different variations depending on which um, insecticides you use and um, they can all work or most of them do work um, if used correctly um, but you need there's a lot of ifs and buts um, and I think it's very important that any vets that are listening or veterinary technicians nurses um, um, that they properly research whichever product they have in their clinic and make sure that they're using it appropriately um, because you don't want that client ringing up tomorrow and saying you killed my snake by telling me to spray this solution on my snake for mites the mites are dead but so is my snake and i'm not happy we don't want anyone not being happy there's a couple of um uh, i think there was a couple of things that uh, i wanted to mention that we didn't mention last time um that i do think uh, the the use of um protecting the eyes when you uh, in in lizards, not so much in snakes because they obviously have a scale over it. But if you use some of these chemicals in lizards and wipe or spray them over them, um, it is good to flush the eyes out straight away, or maybe put some uh, viscous tears in there to protect the eyes from the, the you know they, their eyes are just as sensitive to those chemicals as ours would be. Um, so that's the a really important thing to keep in mind. How many? How long do you treat them for, Brendan? I usually recommend four to six weeks um, is, is what I suggest, yeah. I mean, the other, you know, the other things you can do is is look at the biology of that 
that might their mark and um, they will die with temperatures over 50 degrees or so I think it is but um, you probably don't want to um, crank up that temperature in the enclosure when you have your reptile in there apart from some of the desert species so that's really not a, an effective method long term but um, low humidity um, so a humidity well below 50% will will kill most of them if not all the mite stages so that's another option you have just making it really dry in the enclosure and that will help um, as well um, I really but, think it's uh, really important to be careful with that enclosure furniture as well I think uh, if absolutely all possible discard the stuff that's uh, that's in there um, and start afresh and the stuff that you do put in even you know uh, there, there are protocols for whacking the furniture in a freezer for five days or um, microwaving it if you have a separate microwave for your animals. Um, those things can be used to uh, make sure there's no mites on those bits of furniture and, and that's a much safer way to get them back into the enclosure. Yes, yes. Um, I usually recommend that any wooden items especially um, throw them out and maybe just go with something disposable for that period of the treatment like cardboard boxes or, or plastic mark like a little um, plastic um, you know ice cream container upside down that can be its little hide um, for that period of time and that way you can just remove it every few days or every day and, and um, physically you know wash it um, and, and the chances are that any any mites on that are going to be washed off um, so that's part of your environmental cleaning there what do you think about biological controls mark um that's a bit of a craze with that um do you want to sort of talk about what that means this biological method of potentially controlling mites and do you think it works well there are um some uh predatory mites that can be bought commercially um i don't i think they are available in australia brendan i've never bought them um they're particularly useful i think um in the what's the the bioactive type enclosure um yes. the the sort of enclosure that might house several compatible species and uh, be well furnished with living plants uh, built in such a way that you can't strip it down too easily. Um, the introduction of these predatory mites can shift the balance away enough that um, other factors like you said changing the humidity or whatever um, can be enough to rem uh, remove the, the, the primary danger of the mites I think the problem always with those sorts of enclosures, um, whether it's for our reptiles or other species, um, those sort of habitat um, bioactive enclosures is that once they are contaminated with a pathogen or a parasite, um, even predatory mites going in there is not going to, it becomes a new balance in that um, microenvironment, not the absolute removal of the mites. I think that's the main problem that uh, I would perceive, Brendan. I agree 100% there, Mark. Um, I, if I have clients that, who are interested in using those techniques to potentially control or treat the mites, I usually um, try and dissuade them. It's probably the best way <laughs> to say. Um, uh, um, yes, and and we use the more traditional insecticides. I think they're more likely to to work. Um, so prevention, Mark. Let's talk about prevention. How do we prevent? Um, assume we've treated that snake or that lizard lizard for the um, 
infestation of mites? How do we prevent it occurring in the future? Well, I think the first thing to do is to ensure that you have an adequate um, quarantine period. Um, this the quarantine periods for reptiles is absolutely critical. Having the facility a separate part of the uh, um, the reptile house. Uh, so that um, animals can be housed for several, you know, four, six months um, so that they don't transfer any of those dangerous viruses, but also so that uh, mite infestations might be recognised before they enter the collection proper. Um, and, of course, with quarantine, you've got to make sure you do all that barrier nursing, treat those animals last, don't go and do your quarantine animals, then wander into the main collection straight after. Make sure you've got um, different water containers so they uh, they never go you know, um, the wrong way. Um, it's always critical, I think, to get a vet to have a look at your new animals. I think this is one of the biggest arguments for a post-acquisitional exam. Um, there's nothing worse than uh, not knowing and then six months down the track having a major problem um, when if you had taken that animal to Brendan, he would have got his little probe, stretched the skin around the caudal aspect of the eye and identified just the one or two mites that were there so that they could be treated well before they came became a problem. Yep, it's all about good husbandry as usual, isn't it, Mark? And the minimum... My question for you, Mark, what is the minimum quarantine period you'd recommend for a reptile? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I laugh because um, I think that, um, that it's very difficult to suggest uh, a time less than 12 months is going to protect a collection from those, uh, the, the, uh, particularly some of the dangerous snake viruses. But the practical reality is that... Um, most people laugh at me when I say that. They literally laugh in my face. Um, and we often end up in this strange sort of um, bartering where I suggest they need 12 months if they want a significant uh, guarantee that they've got much lower risk of getting those viruses. Um, and they say, well, what about I go to two months? That's all I can do. And I go, well, <laughs> nothing I can do then. You have to go at least six and they're going, oh, what about four then? Um, but I, I, the short answer to your question is that, as you well know, it's very difficult to, I mean, you, we, I, I've had cases of two years of separation and then those reptile viruses pop up. So yep. um, they're rare, but um, uh, how long do you keep them apart? I don't know. The, the Like I said, I tell them a year. Yeah, it's a difficult Question and an even more difficult answer, isn't it, Mark? Um, how long do we quarantine these animals? It's, so there you go. There's, I reckon a good guide is yes. uh, the duration of the uh, the Vet Guru's podcast. The number of years the Vet Guru's podcast goes, that long <laughs> you should keep them quarantined. So it will increase over time, hopefully. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Well, I think on that note, Mark, uh, we will sign off for this week with our um, review of reptile mites. And don't forget to visit the Vet Guru Etsy store and 
not only visit, click on buy, <laughs> click on buy something. You won't regret it. You'll feel good inside, outside, sideways, upside down, um, depending on what you purchase there. And you also have a bit of a laugh and um, you're, you will be the envy of all your friends. We'll talk to you all next week. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time